through the hourglass. Today is the longest day of my life. Welcome back to The Longest Days of Our Lives. It is day two, hour 15, and I am one of your hosts, Jack Bauer superfan Mike Cushing. And I'm another one of your hosts, 24 newbie Curtis Perry. And I am your third and final host, Michael Howard. Gentlemen, 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 I kind of slurred that last one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Welcome to the 10 p.m. hour. We, um, we got You were waiting for me on. to say the witching hour, weren't you? I thought it was coming. <laughs> I didn't. I actually kind of got ahead of you on that one. I didn't want you to say it because... It's we next. Have, it's next week. I got it. No, it. That, uh, no, the, we have so many hours left in this day. I thought this the wishing hour was eleven o'clock. Well, you know what? Actually, this would be. This should be the wishing hour, Michael, because this episode cast a spell on me. Oh also, boy. they submitted it to the no, Emmys. No, no. This is no. one of the only. Hey, nope. little trivia fact. This is one of the only two episodes that twenty four submitted to the Emmys. Really? As top episode of this season and i gotta tell you pretty good it's a yeah, pretty good because no. sh- we have to just fact that you made a hocus pocus joke <laughs> did i i didn't mean to this episode <laughs> no you did you did you, you meant to do it i thought it, i did i wasn't going for hocus pocus i don't know i was the doors they do that one <laughs> which one <laughs> i don't know riders on spells. the storm yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh witchy woman <laughs> Anyway, fellas. Nice try. Let's go. Yeah. How you guys doing? Curtis, how you feeling about this app? Feeling good. Yeah. Uh, you know, it uh it takes its time. It gets to know you a little bit, then it gets real sexy. It gets kind of uncomfortably sexy. Mm. Given the you made, you made it matter. weird now. You made it weird. At the end of last week, Jack Bauer and the Nest team, the nuclear response team, found a green duffel bag that they have confirmed is a bag holding the nuclear bomb that uh, Syed Ali and Marie Warner have smuggled into the country. Um, we know there's a timer on it, and it could theoretically go off at any moment. So learning that this bomb could go off at any moment, we say a hangar door roll up, and the Nest team pushes a cart with the bomb inside as they frantically start trying to defuse it. And um, Jack is staring intently at the bomb as they start to disassemble the bomb casing and try to access the timing mechanism. And Curtis, I wanted to get your take on this because you're a father now, twice over. Mm-hmm. You've watched someone do very, very important work while you have to sit there with your thumb up your ass or maybe holding their hand a little bit and getting <laughs> getting yelled at. This is correct. For nine straight months. I have to imagine <laughs> watching three dudes try to defuse a nuclear bomb while you have to sit there just staring at it is a similar feeling of helplessness to being a, a father during childhood. Exactly. It kind of it kind of also applies to uh, anyone of us in this world who are in project management. Mm. Um, yeah, software. You, know, you ain't you ain't doing shit when the when the when the ships are really down. You can make some phone calls. You can escalate some things and make some people say, "Hey, get stuff done." But to actually get the work done, it's now I, I need somebody else to get this done. Though you can be a servant leader. You can get them Chick Fil A yeah, in the morning. Oh, abs- oh, you can absolutely. bring in some Rice Krispie treats. Oh, oh later them stands the donuts get delivered. Kush, can I be on, on the your, regular? Can I be on your team? <laughs> I need. Gotta, them. I need them. Gotta apply. I need them I mean, donuts. App- application, friend. Anyway, I have yeah, no marketable no. skills <laughs> <laughs> except for eating donuts. It's, it is a very hard process, and I love I love the amount of uh, real fancy bomb diffusion words they're using here. I started writing them all down. I'm like they're just they're just throwing them out of like it. flash caps and stuff. Just love it, right? And Jack's just what the what do, are you done? 
do you have it? And then, like, you know, as sounds are being made, Jack's, his, his demeanor changes. He smiles. He's, he gives a little bit of a smile. Like, yeah. No. Oh, you're just putting the pant. You're putting something up. That's not okay. It's yeah. That's kind of how it feels. Is but and I, and what it is is that is that um, essentially, Kush, your whole instinct is to protect. You know, for Jack is to protect the the world, and it's when it's giving. You know, having a child being born is to protect the per- the people that are in pain, and so you want to punch someone in the face, but you can't because no one is hurting them <laughs> that you can punch in the face. <laughs> Right. Jack, yeah. Jack's just trying to punch a bomb in the face. Jack wants and, to punch that bomb mm-hmm. right in the face, but he can't do it. Maybe that's what he was doing last week when he met, he pointed out areas on the bomb. The <laughs> I would fake like to bomb punch for there the next scene. He's like, I want I want to hit that point on the bomb and that one. Ooh, I'm gonna shoot it real good. Or maybe he was uh, like, Hey, I really want to punch something on the bomb, and they're like, No, Jack, you can't punch anything on the bomb. And he's like, How about there? And they're like, No. Like, How about it there? will explode. If this were a bomb, it would explode. Um. So. They're working on the bomb, and in the background, we hear sirens approaching, uh, and we see an SUV pull up, and who has arrived on the scene? G-Money. It's G-Mace. It's G-Mace. Mm-hmm. And did we expect this, fellas? I have to say that I did not, and I've seen this before. Like, I completely forgot. I So I knew he got to the point where he was um, at the end of this episode, not to give anything away, but I... Did not remember him going straight to to uh, to the airfield. Yeah, I mean, especially it's such a turnabout for for Mason from the beginning of this season, where he's just so disinterested and like all he wanted to do was be in in Washington D.C. and he he felt he'd have been passed over and he just wanted to be in that living on the high hog in D.C. as as a politician. And now he walks in and he says, when Jack asks him what he's doing here, he says. This is the thing that killed me, Jack. I kind of want to see it when they lay it to rest. Do you have it diffused yet? <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I mean, and it kind of gives gives him a full circle arc from the beginning where he tried to get out of the city and go as far away from the bomb as possible, and now he's, uh, now he's just going right into the heart of it. Think think about this, y'all. If If he had never tried to escape, would he even be dying right now? No. If he just stayed at CTU doing his job, but he did kill one of the bad guys. I'm, I'm, I'm just so saying. they may have not even found the plutonium, and he'd be blown up anyways. I mean, that's true. Jack, would, I mean, uh, you know, I think that George was just—is he Schrodinger's Mason right now? He was too was- good for this world, <laughs> and he had to die one way or the other. I think, I mean, I think Xander Berkeley just wanted to move on to big, bigger and better things. But, I mean, no, I, I think... Is it, because, is it because is it because Keith asked his wife why he married her? Probably. Yeah, just he, why'd you do it? It's a hostile work oh, okay. environment. I oh, can't be around okay. Keith for fucking Sutherland anymore. Get the fuck out. Wouldn't that be no. great if that's why? <laughs> We're going to retcon the last five episodes. This son of a bitch asked my wife, what? No, Keith. It's not cool. Oh, not yeah? Cool, man. Oh, yeah? Well, you're dead. Your skin's going to fall off and your dick's going to fall off. <laughs> Go fuck Sarah Clark then, okay? Huh? Huh? Although I did did find a guy uh apparently who's like survived uh 500 times the, the lethal dose of americunium, which is a some kind of americunium, which is a uh something related to plutonium. Yeah, I mean it's what 135 on the Yeah. And so yeah. he uh, should have been dead 500 times over. And basically he 
stayed alive for then like- he turned into dr manhattan he won the vietnam war and he waved his gigantic blue dick around uh-huh. and everyone was like oh man we're pretty scared of you so actually. what i'm saying is uh his dick fell off but it grew back bluer and better and bigger and bigger more importantly is, is that that blue dick they found in sweden <laughs> <laughs> that's the one well guys anyway back to our show um jack tells george that the nest team needs 10 more minutes to uh defuse the bomb or at least access the timer which is internal and uh george says okay so you don't know when it's gonna go off it could go off any second and um jack just says well you know what everything's under control and also there must be somewhere else you'd rather be and Mason just says, you know what? I promised myself I'd see this through to the end, and that's what I'm going to do, which, again, is a massive 180 from from Mason. And I think, again, kind of speaks to, like, as much as he kind of plays the career game, he's definitely, like, I think he has those sort of, he's loyal to CTU. He really believes in what he's doing, even if he sometimes, you know, embezzles funds from terrorists. Yeah, but it's one of those things where it's like, he's dying. So, like, what is he going to do anyways? Right. And his son hates him. So it's like it's like almost like a fake loyalty. He wants that G May C T U building. But I mean, again, that one blew up, so we, maybe we, Yeah, that's maybe true. Maybe he just wants to get a building named after. And <laughs> even he says this later in the episode. Well, we'll get to that later, but like maybe he just wants to be a hero and like really stick it to everyone who like didn't let him get to Washington DC and kind of betray him. That's true, yeah. It's like, yeah, you know what? I just want my name on a building. <laughs> I'm Old G Mace, I'm I'm getting at least a library in Des Moines. Yeah, I mean, if you're to to be fair, this is three years before George Mason went to the Final Four. So, oh well, (laughs) Um, deals are lining up. That's the deal: is that they had to change it from being named after that George Mason to being named after him. Yeah, that's the that was the deal. So uh, George has an attack and starts coughing, and he struggles to grab his pills, and he drops them, and Jack picks them up for him, and then. Jack hears some concerning beeps coming from the nuclear weapon behind him, and uh, he sees one of the nest guys back away from the bomb in a panic, and he goes over to see what's happening, and uh, a nest technician explains that the the trigger on the bomb is tamper-proof, and it was disguised, so all the work they've been doing uh, has really just kind of triggered a fail-safe in the bomb, and that if they dismantle it or disconnect it anymore, it will detonate. And Jack asks if there's any way to defuse the bomb, and the tech just shakes his head slowly. And as soon as he hears this, Jack calls for Agent Goodrich and orders him to find the fastest, most reliable plane on the airfield, which conveniently Goodrich knows there's a Cessna caravan parked in nearby Hangar 3 that cruises at 210 miles per hour. You know, maybe he was the guy who was supposed to check on all the planes. That was, he just that remembers. Was, that was Goodrich's job, yeah. which is the NPC job. Which, by the way, so... He says that nearby Hangar 3, they are, hangar per 12. last episode, at Hangar 12. 21, actually. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> from the no, last they brought episode. The, they brought the bomb. They brought the bomb to 12 to defuse, though. That makes no sense either, because Kate was, <laughs> Marie was being interrogated <laughs> at like, Hangar 21. Maybe it's like an S, so that some, like, or it goes like this somehow, so that there's weird buildings next to each other or something. I don't know, yeah, man. Maybe the, yeah, maybe they're on a logarithm, not logarithmic <laughs> curve. Um, so... It's actually Jack, some kind of weird Fibonacci sequence uh, where, where, where 13 and 21 are right next to each other. I can't. Well, yeah, kind of. If you 
group. Nope. Um, anyway, so Goodrich goes to get the plane. Jack pulls out a phone as he locks eyes with a very clearly sick George Mason leaning against a car, and he calls the OC to brief President David Palmer on the situation. And uh, as as he's on hold, Jack walks back to ask uh, the techs if they were able to connect to the internal timer, and the tech responds, yes, and then says, we have 55 minutes and until he, detonation. And then he shows okay. him a timer that says like 48 minutes, 48 right? minutes. Yeah, what the shit was that? Yeah. Even if it's 4,800 seconds, that's 80 minutes. Yeah. I'm like, how did you get... I, and why did it have to be the one black guy in the room who's like, it's 55 minutes? Like, no! I feel like they, they must have changed the, <laughs> like the script and the ends at, at the end so they were, and they were like, needed to edit it in, so they just edited somebody saying 55, and then just kept the same. <laughs> but the thing is, the, the real thing is, no matter which number the guy went with, he was incorrect. <laughs> because, <laughs> as we'll learn later, the bomb goes off in 54 minutes. <laughs> mm. So everyone's wrong. <laughs> so as soon as he says that, we get a tiny clock at 10.05. Please take a minute. <laughs> can we ask? Can we, I got one question. Shoot. I don't care how brave you think you are. When you hear somebody say, we can't defuse the nuke, nobody noped out of there. We, somebody would have noped. We, we just didn't even all the, see him. Well, to be fair, we don't see Agent Tom Baker for the rest of this episode. <laughs> oh, shit. That's right. He, es- he escorted himself to the safe zone. <laughs> <laughs> he took yeah, the like, second fastest plane and drove <laughs> the other direction. And so, to be fair, we'll, we'll learn in a minute. Jack says something about uh, calling for volunteers uh, for this bomb. Um they don't appear to be too many on hand. But anyway, we get a tiny clock at 10.05. Please take a drink. And we see Kim Bauer walking out of a forest to a deserted highway. And uh, we hear some motorcycles approaching. And she is immediately passed by two men on motorcycles who give her the stink eye but keep on driving. And then um, a car blasting Kim Catnip shitty alt-rock uh, like, pulls up Rick? moments later. And it's Rick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's, she she does the just the best thing that Kim has done in this. Kim, Not at first she doesn't, though. Well, but the thing is, yeah. So she gets the tingly and no, she actually first, listens to first, the tingly. She, she, no, but she sees the man, the exact person, uh, dear listener, that you would not get into a car with. you don't want to get in the car with. Is what Even she if needs you to know them, you don't want to get, get in the car in the with car. them. Ratty brown hair, t-shirt with a long sleeve shirt underneath it, blasting again, shitty, shitty alt-rock. And driving no, an El Camino. Here, here's the perfect description. Skeet Ulrich from Scream. That's yeah. who she considers getting mm. in the car with. But yep. like a <laughs> like an ugly Skeet Ulrich. <laughs> His name's already Skeet. It's bad enough. You, is his name really Skeet or did he change I it to that? I don't know. Can't possibly. <laughs> anyway, so the male motorist asks where she's going, and she says, "I'm going to San Jose." And he's like, "Oh, cool. Me too." And um, just before she gets in, Kim kind of becomes suspicious. And says, "You know what? I don't need a ride. This actually. isn't all adding up." And he tries to convince her for a moment, and then as soon as he's like, "Oh, now all of a sudden you don't need a ride." A couple seconds ago, you need to go to San Jose. What's up? And he gets out of the car angrily, and what does she do? Hmm. She pulls that gun out right on him, and she holds it very confidently like someone who has been trained by her yeah. dad. What were you saying, Kush? Last okay, episode? yeah, so she gets the gun from Lonnie. Apparently, Jack never told her, 
Jack told her how to handle guns. She just handled a knife like a gun. Yeah, exactly. She was like, oh, this is a weapon. She knew. This is how it's I a use weapon. it. Uh, Weapons get hold, held with two hands. And then that. The trigger. And, and then Broseph McGee says, you don't know how to use that. Mm. What does mm. she do? There goes the back window. You're El Camino, friend. See ya. And so again, again, though, this is one of those things that 24 does where characters are only like they're exactly what they need to be in any one moment. Like, Kim should have known how to use a fucking knife. But now she's a fucking firearms master. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the thing is I think that, like, I don't know. A knife is such a more personal weapon. Like, I could see someone not really being comfortable with, like, if he comes at me, am I really going to stab this dude right in the stomach? Whereas, like, threatening someone with a gun is... Let me ask you this question. All right, right, big man, how do you hold a hunting knife against against, uh, uh, attacking Johnny Drama? Yeah, I got a, I got a knife no, back here. Okay, don't don't say no. It. Everyone the, knows when you see a Johnny drama, you call turtle. <laughs> you you have to curl up into a ball and pretend like you don't see him because then he knows there's no publicity there and he leaves. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Come on, baby bro. Do you also is that when you poop your pants too? <laughs> Just <laughs> no, that's that's if you see a a, a turtle. <laughs> all right, we got to cut all this anyway. Uh, he drives off, and we cut to see Jack and President Palmer on the phone, and we learn that David's team are ana- analyzing two potential plans to take the bomb either into the Mojave Desert or over the Pacific Ocean. And uh, Jack says, "Well, the bomb will be ready to move in ten minutes." And uh, David says, "All right." We'll let you know what we need to do as soon as we analyze both fight plans. And um, then we see Jack prepping the teams to get the bomb onto a plane. And as he hangs up, we cut to the NROC and we get another tiny clock. It is 10.08. Please take a drink. And um, we see Mike Novick, the president's chief of staff, telling David that, you know, I wish these plans were more reliable, which is exactly what you want to hear when a nuclear bomb is in play. And... um, he tells David that I'm going to look at the Pacific Ocean and Lynn Kresge is analyzing the plan for the desert. And Mike pretty much goes ahead and says flying the bomb over and into the ocean is uh, bad. Going to be at bad. first. Not not so bad. It sounds good to start. And then yeah. it gets worse and detonate, worse. Detonate, de- detonates in the ocean. Great. Um, takes a lot of not, the heat. Not, not any immediate, uh, you know, uh, casualties. There might be some fallout that will find itself over LA shortly but you know long term effects cancer that, okay. they won't get cancer for like 30 40 years right. though you'll be gone by then the one but thing- but LA uh one of the busiest ports in the world unusable might use might lose some boats uh the port itself gone um fishing done uh, oil those beaches, gone. Yeah. those beaches um can't mm. use them uh, beaches are gone a complete ecological disaster but but more X-Men. <laughs> so, and no more Point Break remakes ooh, because you can't surf on that beach. That is a positive. So that is true. pretty that good. True. Um, one of the things I didn't understand, though, was the math on this one. That they could only get 80 miles offshore with a plane that goes 210 miles an hour when they still have 50 minutes to go. Because we all know that L.A., Traffic. Very, very, it's, there's a lot of traffic. That, yeah, the traffic. And it's nowhere near the beach. <laughs> but they're, but LA so. is, but they're like west, no, they're like in the middle of LA, right? 
Norton Air Force Base. And LA, and LA is a whole county, but I don't think it's that far away from Do the Do you coast. think when general aviation, like, craft go up, they also have to take the 405 over to Mulholland <laughs> and then get on the 10 and... <laughs> Where are you, I, your plane? Yeah. So, guys, I will. I we did we did miss something very awesome in the last episode. Uh, Michelle Dessler saying to her to her former colleague, "What are you doing here, <laughs> <laughs> Michelle? Michelle? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? <laughs> How did you get here?" Um, so Mike outlines all the ecological and environmental disasters that would happen if we crashed a nuclear bomb into the ocean right off the coast of L.A. And mm-hmm. uh, then Lynn Kresge walks over with a report and tells them that we can designate a ground zero in the Mojave Desert that would protect inhabited inhabited towns. Okay. Um, and there's some possible risk to Las Vegas, but the long-term effects nope. should be relatively nope. small Ow. and... Nope. Yeah, you know what? Blow That's up it. L.A. I got yeah. business yeah. in Vegas. I, I mean, I immediately wrote down, nah, son. <laughs> that ocean sounds real good. Possible Vegas? No. Right. No, can't take it. But mm-hmm. um, what does Lynn... Lynn says there's less risk at flying into the desert, but there's one one catch. What's that catch? Uh, uh, creepos who live in the desert. <laughs> no. like, uh, I, y'all seen the hills have eyes? Fuck y'all. Yeah, like, They're going to make them super hills so, have eyes. Uh, she meant the random hiker and camper. Like, okay. There's a you bigger know? catch than that, Curtis. I don't know if you caught it. The pilot will be forced uh, to go down with the plane. Well, yeah, I wasn't getting to that. That's the part she, she mentions first, the hikers and the campers. Yeah. You know that. Yeah. The one thing I thought they were going to say. Then, yeah, El Suicido. Like, that's, a, that's also an issue. I but, thought they were going to say, like. The desert is by far the better option, but politically, allowing a nuke to explode on U.S. soil instead of saying like, oh, man, we got it. We got it in the ocean. We did it. That's got to be bad, right? I don't know, man. Cause, no, uh, to their point and like to Curtis's point, like it's only hippies and campers who are out in the desert in like the Mojave Desert. Yeah, but there's there's been a nuclear Explosion Michael, on you're US talking. Soil. You're talking. You're talking about the same desert that we literally tested nukes in for years. That's what it was for. I'm saying for from a, a political, from a political thing, he can say like, "We found it. We got it off the. Uh, we got it out of here." And then you're you're talking about long term effects. Like we clearly, as a country, don't give a shit about long term effects. So he's getting another four years. Is all I'm saying. We talked about it last week. That. Blowing up a nuclear bomb on American soil is a win for a terrorist group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, blowing up one near America at all would be a win. Um, I get it, but I, I mean, I think I think the yeah, we got it into the ocean would be a good short term win. And then once everyone was like, yeah, but you killed like you crippled our second largest port, and you That's- killed all the tuna. I like tuna. Tuna's it's good. A, it's an issue, dude. <laughs> No more, no more LA beaches, which they're subpar at best, but still, uh, it's a problem. So anyway, we learn from Lynn that the since the aircraft carrying the bomb has to go down in a very precise location in a depression surrounded by mountains, um, a small aircraft would have to be guided down by a pilot who would be forced to go down with the plane. It's a suicide mission. And Mike says, that's right, Mr. President, one man dies to ensure the safety of millions, which... Palmer calls Jack to confirm that, and Jack says, again, way <laughs> somehow way ahead of the uh, CTU or the president's staff, yeah, we've already come to that conclusion about this mission being one way, 
and I already have several men volunteer to take the plane to the desert. I need to ask you all this, and because because you know this series as it goes on, how big of a hard on do you think Jack Bauer gets when he hears the phrase "only one man"? <laughs> like, is it? Oh, oh yeah, that's right. You know who it is. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, Jack, guys, gonna... I, have a, I have a question that's going to kind of. I feel like it kind of ruined this entire episode for me. Oh no! What's that? So they need to get a plane. They're at a small airfield. The best they can find is a Cessna that goes 210 miles an hour, right? Mm-hmm. And you can ask why they couldn't fly an M16 to this bad boy to yeah, pick an it up F- and like, then like F- go 900 miles an hour? You know, you know the top F- speed of an F-15 is uh, 1,875 miles an hour. Literally, no matter what Air Force base it was around LA, it could have gotten there faster and gotten the bomb and gotten way further away than loading it into a 210-mile-an-hour Cessna in 20 minutes. Just saying. And then no way has to die because you can direct an F-15, you can put on autopilot to go wherever the fuck you want. Are you trying to say that the president has access to supersonic aircraft? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and pilots who are brave enough to fly them in a suicide. And they mission. already knew the bomb was in L.A. for the entire time. You have to know they had jets around, right? I mean, I'm just saying. They they knew it was at Norton Air Force Base for like two hours. You you're telling me they didn't have jets or helicopters or shit? Oh, well, that's so the one thing is the so first of all, uh, Jack does call in, in a helicopter later in this episode, <laughs> uh, which also fly in around two hundred sixty miles an hour. So, Michael, I'm going to do you one better. So, actually, um, a C seventeen. Uh, which is obviously a large cargo carrier, the maybe, Flying Hercules. <laughs> yeah, maybe could not have landed at Norton Airfield. Flies around a uh, five hundred and twenty miles an hour. <laughs> um, so like they could have flown in any like semi-large cargo plane that flies twice as fast as mm-hmm. the Cessna caravan, and gotten it to wherever it needed to be like way quicker. Yeah. Although again, maybe it would be harder to convince someone to. Hey, fly this big ass plane <laughs> into an airport, pick up this <laughs> package, little package, um, and just go, and you'll get to where you're going eventually. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, um, but yeah. So anyway, as Jack is talking to President Palmer, he's like, "We we know this is a one way trip," and Palmer says, "Well, don't worry." The nation will pledge their gratitude to that man's service and vow to take care of their that family. And um, says, "Well, just call me when the plane is in the air. When once someone gets up there, and David can't guess the fucking outcome of this situation. Yeah, he just made Jack harder, right? <laughs> that glory too. Oh shit. <clears throat> oh, and you'll and you'll take care of my dumbass daughter. Cool. <laughs> this is great. So we get a tiny clock at ten twelve, and um. Jack hangs up, hangs it for a moment, and he turns around to walk to the plane, and who does he run into? Oh, G-Money. G-Mace. And uh, Mason notices what Curtis already has and says, oh, funny, I don't see any volunteers around here lining up to take that bomb out into the desert. (laughs) When was the last time you flew a plane, Jack? I'm current. I'm instrument rated, and I'm going to be dead by the end of the day anyhow. Why don't you let me fly this plane? What does Jack say? And he noticed that G-Mace wasn't looking so good earlier and couldn't even hold on to his pills. And he's like, yeah, what if you black out and then you crash it maybe into just the east side of L.A. and we have a problem? <laughs> like, yeah, I you you could be dead by the end of the day or you could be dead any minute. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Georgia says, 
I can hang on for another half hour. That's all we need, right? <laughs> and Jack's just like, George, just go somewhere else. And uh, he he gets everyone prepped. He tells the agents that the mission is a go, and they need to ready the plane for flight. He walks off, and we cut to commercial at 12... Th- sorry. We cut to commercial at 10.13, and we come back at 10.17. And uh, we see Tony Almeida receive a call, and then... A CTU agent Graves walks in, rolling a suitcase uh, behind him, and uh, in his company we see an Arabic man uh, in the background with a CTU visitors tag, and we learn that his name is Yusef Ayuda, an intelligence liaison from the government of Syed Ali's home country, and uh, Agent Graves walks up to Tony, says Ivet, he escorted Ayuda, and he has a suitcase full of personal effects from... Syed Ali's safe house. And um, Ayuda seems a little bit shifty, but eager to kind of get into the analysis here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tony is, he's hes very suspicious of Yusuf. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, I guess you would be if you thought that there might be a tie between the terrorists and the home country's government, and then all of a sudden they just sent some dude over. Which from the beginning, I think episode two or three, like there were links to Saidi, like the quote unquote not Afghanistan country <laughs> right. and second wave, the terrorists who have, who you mean, were behind this. You mean please don't be Madistan? Right. <laughs> exactly. Don't um, want to offend a Stan? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to hear see here, Stan. Um, so he kind of like Tony takes uh, Agent Graves uh, and tells him to go into a room with the suitcase, and then he tells Ayuda to kind of cool his heels, and then he walks over to Michelle Dessler's desk who is working with Carrie Turner, uh, her former boss from division, and uh, or district, sorry. And he tells her to assign someone to watch Ayuda and says, officially, he's a visiting intel- intelligence agent entitled to full cooperation. Unofficially, I don't want him to see anything he doesn't need to see. And he walks away, and Michelle tells Carrie that, I'm going to go handle Ayuda personally. Uh, call Jacobs if you need any help. And... Carrie gets up all up in her business. Mm-hmm. She tells Something's her she said assign somebody. She said, yeah. "Well, I'm assigning myself." That's how delegation works. I get to delegate where I choose. Yeah. So why do we think that Michelle wants to work directly with Yusuf Curtis? She working with them people. Mm. Hmm. She a mole? <sighs> God damn it! It just I think Carrie's the mole. Yeah, it goes. It's it's like, do they do they once again embarrass Tony that bad? <laughs> it's just like, hey, Tony, your your dick is is literally a terrorist dowsing rod. If you just if you just let it understand that where it points to, murder follows. Please Found don't water. do it anymore. Mm. Found water. <laughs> Arrest that water. <laughs> so it's gotta be, it's gotta be Carrie. But yeah, no, it's um well because because Carrie opens her mouth about you know trying to kind of nose in they're trying to make it seem like it's the their past that's coming up right but maybe it's you know maybe care working with those people mm. right well michelle tells care to just do her job and again stay out of her business which seems to be a common thread in ctu just get out my, my face and tony walks into a room where graves is going through uh the suitcase and he pulls out a hard drive that he says they couldn't decrypt in the field because it's encrypted with a ZQ function among all these effects. And guys, by the way, a ZQ function just means that someone used a Rubik's Cube 
to uh, create a uh, a hash to decrypt uh, to encrypt a uh, a file, which means at most it has a thirty seven bit uh, <laughs> encryption, which for your average human could take a little while to uh, decrypt. <laughs> could take your average computer about a. Uh, 45 seconds what if what if they took a 128 bit encryption hash and then used that to translate it with a rubik's cube for each thing and so then you have 128 plus 37 oh shit hugh jackman you on to it now mm-hmm. you got mm-hmm. it they've been swordfished sword yeah, it's over they could have done that <laughs> <laughs> probably didn't but uh, Tony takes a drive. I mean, this is says, 2002. 37-bit was pretty impressive. No, it wasn't. Michael, they literally <laughs> had a it. supercomputer in the building. <laughs> the, Michael, Michael, how many the bits Nintendo 64 was six, Nintendo 64 seven was out most? of date, bro. The N64 was old by 2002. Okay, <laughs> this, was, video this was almost half of the N64. <laughs> Look, my Sega CD only had 32, and that was fucking baller. No, that was your 32X asshole. <laughs> your second CD was better. <laughs> so we get a tiny clock at 1020, and we see the Nest team loading the nuclear bomb onto the Cessna as Jack calls Tony to find out about Cam. Mm. And uh, Tony says, Jack, we're still working on it. And uh, Jack says, Tony, I'm running out of time here. Please take a drink. <laughs> I need to speak to her right now. And um, Tony's like, hey, man. I get it, but uh, kind of have my hands here full here. If you could just wait till the plane is in the air and the pilot is off the ground, and Jack's just like, "Hey, man, I'm flying the damn plane," <laughs> which uh, Tony can't believe for good reason. Yeah, and mm-hmm. uh, Jack just says, "I'd like to speak to my daughter. Will I still have time?" And uh, he also tells Tony that there is a safe in his apartment with his will and a letter to Kim that he had written if anything had happened to him. But so how was he supposed to get it out of the safe? He's the fuck it's a government agent, CTU, Michael. Man. Come on. You can do a his safe thing. Cracker. Yeah. <laughs> you don't think Jack that ha- has his safe like booby traps? Yeah. <laughs> what is the fucking Indiana Jones shit? Like, had, be a there is nothing out. in his safe. He just hates Tony so much he's going to blow him up. <laughs> Tony, you have to do it personally. You have to do it. <laughs> Actually, Tony Whoever you're romantically interested in the office right now, send her there and do it. God, you son of a, you stupid bastard. She's Believe going me, to I'm, be a mole. Even if it's, if you wait 15 years from now, she will be a mole. I'm doing you and my country. I can't stop serving this country. God, Tony, just sent your next girlfriend to the bomb. I mean, my safe. So, um, they hang up and... Jack kind of presses his head against the fuselage of the plane, and we get another tiny clock. It's 10, 21, and we see Kim still hitchhiking along the road as a car kind of comes its way out of a tunnel behind her and uh, pulls up slowly, and Kim turns and slowly checks her gun behind her back, tucked into the waistband of her pants, and the car stops, and blessedly, thank you, 24, we see a uh, older woman driving the, the SUV, and uh driver's name is Anna. And uh, Kim jumps in and tells her, uh, you know, I fled a date that had gone wrong. I need to get to San Jose. Let let me get this straight, guys. After all this time trekking through the wilderness, surviving um, the harrowing chase from a, a large Johnny drama. cat, and then surviving Johnny drama, Kim actually gets into the car with a cougar. <laughs> <laughs> She hides the goddamn gun and enters the vehicle 
with Cougar. You ain't Ricky Bobby. That's what Johnny right? Drama this was ain't talking about well. when he said there are cougars out there. If you just fire a shot, they'll run away. Oh, that's who he was fucking. Oh, man. I didn't see a ring on Anna's finger either. Mm-mm. She hunting. Hey, can I say this? And look pretty good. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> that's what I was thinking. I mean, you don't get in the car with a white woman. They're the most dangerous. Everyone knows that. So, uh, obviously, Anna, Anna knows Kim's story is full of shit. But um, she lets Kim use her cell phone to call her father. And uh, we get another tiny clock. It's 1022. And we're back at the airfield. And CTU is making final preparations to load the bomb. And uh, a the nest agent uh, hands Jack a timer synchronized to the bomb. I think it's just like a Palm Pilot. Yeah, it, does. it the, looks like yeah the, the, the old Palm Pilot back in the yeah. day. And uh, we see that there are 35 minutes left until detonation. And then... Jack is kind of climbing into the cockpit of the plane and uh, kind of checking gears. And then uh, Kate Warner questions our last scene of Agent Tom Baker (laughs) regarding, she's like, well, you know, I heard the bomb's gonna have to be flown all the way to the plane. Does it have like an autopilot or something? (laughs) He's like, oh, no, the pilot's gonna die. (laughs) And she then immediately learns that Jack is the one who's flying the plane to ground zero and horrified she turns and calls out to jack and just as he's about to close the door to the plane he they make eye contact briefly and then jack just slams the door and he begins she failed the dialogue tree like she didn't make a response she just waited and got the whole like dot 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 response like (laughs) you didn't say anything you gotta use the left thumb stick kate to to pick it you could have got him out of the plane if you said something shit or if you'd just gone to the bottom right you'd be like hey fuck you you hurt my sister and then you'd be like jack will remember that kate (laughs) (laughs) but uh jack slams the door and begins to taxi down the runway and kate just looks on in disbelief and uh, we cut inside to see Jack Bauer getting clearance to take off, which, like, <laughs> does he really need it? Look, like, he's does he have to really communicate? <laughs> he's a professional. Negative goes right to the parrot was full. I have the nuke. Nah, son. You ain't going nowhere tonight. You grounded. Yeah, this is Tower. Please get the fuck out of here at all possible speed. Thank you. Go. <laughs> so we'll put a rocket in the back of your plane. Get the fuck he's out. He's like, hey, Tower, Tower, Tower. Is anyone there? Oh. Is that a? Is oh, that, you, does you that all just say nope? <laughs> is that just a nope from a from an iPod on repeat? What is? <laughs> nope, nope, <laughs> nope, nope. Please take off. Nope. <laughs> so we see the Cessna caravan gently lift off into that good night toward the Mojave Desert, and Kate just kind of walks forward away from Agent Tom Baker, who told her to stay put. Um, just looking on in disbelief. When we cut to commercial at 1024, we come back at 1029. And uh, Mike Novick learns that the plane is in the air and almost close to clearing LA airspace, which four minutes. All right. Got it. Good good to (laughs) go. And uh, Lynn Kresge walks over and hands David a a draft of his statement for tomorrow. And uh, Lynn just looks up at her after reviewing it real quickly and says, Take another pass and then uh, request that Lynn also contact a Colonel Davidson and have him prepare Air Force One for transport to Los Angeles, mm-hmm. which Mike and Lynn do not react to very well. Yeah, I wasn't sure how I felt about this. Like, I got where David was coming from, but at the same time, like, maybe you shouldn't be so close to where the the nuclear yeah, bomb no. went off. No, and, 
And David's statement is wrong. But that wasn't their that wasn't their thing though. Well, no, it was that there was going to be a lot of civil unrest. And that they don't want David near that. They don't want him too closely associated with civil unrest, <laughs> which is like a weird thing to like Yeah, like the president shouldn't be, shouldn't like, be hiding. Hey, a nuke went off. Got something to say, homie? Are you in the bunker? Great. Happy to hear it. Good yeah, job. It's a weird thing from them. Like, Mike says, it might be, quote, too, for lack of a better term, hands-on. Like, you're not managing the situation. You're involved in the situation. And David just says, I want to be there to look like I'm in control. And um, Mike just says, a, well, in any case, I doubt Secret Service will even hear of it. And David, fellas, says, well... Secret Service works for me. I don't work for them. And if you two that gentlemen will recall, <laughs> we, a couple Trends in Low Places episodes ago, talked about the president's power vis-a-vis commanding Secret Service to let him do th- certain things. Like fight to the death in the squared circle. Correct. Or just have a wrestling match. Yeah, well, one of the two. Anything. And if... And if I I have to say, if if the president can order a Secret Service to allow him to go into a nuclear fallout zone, <laughs> he can also order them to construct a wrestling square in the Rose Garden and and bring Jake Tapper into that ring to fight. I don't think he could command them to build it, because that's not within their that's not under their what shit. If, but like what if what if this what he'd if have the to ring build was, it himself? What if the ring was constructed by uh, damn, I can't can't think by of the, the army. Name. Nope, the, the, nope, the, nope. Um, what if the ring was constructed by confiscated counterfeit bills? Ooh, now mm. we're talking. Yep, pallets that of true. them. That's their job. Yeah, mm-hmm. they'd so, have to. So, do funnily it enough, the the president is the commander in chief of the armed forces and can command those folks to do things. Mm-hmm. But the Secret Service does not work for him. They work for us to defend the office of the presidency. So if you tried to walk your happy ass to a nuclear fallout zone, mm. their job is to say, um, no, but but no, nah. <laughs> we're gonna go with a a hard nope on on that. What joint. would they do if the president was just like, I'm gonna, I'm going, you can't stop me because like, no, isn't the we pilot, can't stop you, but isn't the pilot of the Air Force One a military? He's a marine, or right? Whatever. Yeah, so he could be like, Air Force, hey, Air Force Colonel, hey, Marines, yeah. You're gonna fly me in this plane, but they could just lock his doors to the residents. I'm just saying, could they command? Could that he joint? command the army to fight the Secret Service for his freedom? Oh shit! Well, now we're just at a situation where we were last week, where CTU is fighting Coral Snake on American soil to like protect against a threat against the U.S. soil. It's like again, it's like, hey, this fucking dumb dumb wants to go go dose himself with nuclear radiation. It's like. We think that's bad. Do you really want to fight us for it? So, Michael, what you do is you keep his door locked, and then the Secret Service and the Army play Call of Duty outside of his door. <laughs> Throw the grenade! <laughs> it's really getting bad out there. <laughs> you lock him in the residence, and then you just call Fox News and be like, hey, guys, we need a we need a real solid. Can you just put Deucey on there? Get Killmead up in there? Just be like, President should stay home today. <laughs> <laughs> if you get within 200 miles of a nuclear base, your penis shrinks to five centimeters. I think we're good not going to the nuke. There you go, buddy. We did it. And then Killing's like, expands to five centimeters? <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Eat shit, Brian Kilmeade. <laughs> Everyone knows that you can no longer see P if you have nuclear vision. <laughs> you had to do it. You had to. Guys, the this P is- tape is real. 
Guys, this episode is going to be 19 hours long. <laughs> you you wanted this. I okay? did. This is what you wanted when I told you what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, I requested it. Um, so, basically, Lynn says, well, you're going to be walking through a lot of civil unrest. And David just says, you know, the whole country will be traumatized, especially the people of L.A. I'm going to do everything I can to reassure them. And Lynn just nods and says, I'll get the plane ready. And then David asks Mike, if he ever found out who's flying the plane and Mike slowly tells him that it's Jack Bauer. Uh, and he said, I would have told you sooner, but you have enough on your mind already. And David seems to have trouble processing that. And then he slowly walks away. And uh, we cut to an overhead shot of Jack Cessna flying over the suburbs as uh, soft piano music kind of tinkles along. And uh, we get a tiny clock at 1031. Please take a drink. And inside we see Jack climbing to 10,000 feet. And he has 26 minutes left until detonation. He gets a call from Tony, who has found Kim, but has not told her anything yet. And then he patches the call together into the cockpit. And um, they both are relieved to hear each other's voices. And Anna gives Kim an approving side-eye as she talks to her father. And um, this show really has a thing for forcing characters into phone conversations while in the car with people who have no idea what the fuck is I just love that they they could have ignored the fact that Anna was in the car and just been like, she's just driving along, whatever. But they kept showing her, and she kept having to react. And it was, she said so much with so little. I mean, she this this lady emotes right? so hard. Do, mm-hmm. Like, and to be fair, this is one of the most bu- like if I had to be in the car, this is one of the most buck wild conversations I could ever imagine. Like, because of what is she thinking? Jack, Jack essentially says, "Oh, you had a pretty bad day, huh? Oh, by the way, I'm flying a nuclear bomb out into the desert." Do you? Do, but is she hearing Jack's side at all? She's just. I imagine she's just hearing Kim's side, and she can't even begin to fathom what made her go from like happy to no can't somebody else do it i mean i can't i can't imagine because like jack is like or kim is just like yelling no 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 at jack over and over and then like hyperventilating which i would be too like she plays the scene pretty well but um and kim's just like well how are you gonna get off the plane (laughs) which like that alone would have been like what the fuck are you talking about? Because she doesn't know her dad is anything other than just a random dude. And then she immediately starts apologizing for everything she's done to him, which is like, it's like, I, I did, I didn't, I blame you for mom. I love you just the way you are. Like, like this must have been buck wild for Anna to hear. Like, yes, not like, yeah, it's all nuts. And, and I'll give credit to Kim here, right? It's seriously, it's like, hey, you know what I don't want to be right now? An, An orphan? orphan? Yeah. Can, you, can you not orphan me with an Again, Kim months? is 17. Yeah. <laughs> like, Kim is 17 years old. Yeah. And so Kim just says, you know, I'm so sorry. And Jack weirdly says, hey, anything that happened between us was never your fault. I love you just the way you are, and I don't ever want you to change. And it's like, hey, Jack, be a father right now. Yeah, you have a once you have a once in a lifetime chance to like really impart some like impactful just like imprinting on your daughter. Like tell her to be better. Like hey, don't run off. Don't light fires in cop cars. Like f- pick better boyfriends. Yeah. That's the main one. No more Ricks. All right? And he he tells her eventually to just grow up to be the kind of person that would have made your mother proud. And they're both kind of tearing up and Kim says she's proud of him and she loves him. And she's crying and they say goodbye to each other and each are holding back 
tears as we cut to commercial at 10.35. And after this, you know, it's kind of like, okay, I get why they submitted this one to the Emmys. Mm-hmm. A lot of emoting going on. Yeah. Got deep. Got deep. And the soundtrack was dope. Yeah, so. it was good. We come back at 10.40, and Anna has stopped the car and pulled over to try to comfort Kim, but Kim just says, I need to be alone. <laughs> just and she opens the door and the runs off again. into the night again, which... <laughs> Guys, what do you think this is setting up? More CTU? More cougars? Intervention, perhaps? <laughs> cougar? It's definitely a cougar. He's escaped. He's escaped now two cougars. A daytime cougar and a nighttime in-car cougar. But here comes that nighttime free cougar. Who wants some Kim? I just Hung- Hungry for that Kim. <laughs> Well, we get another tiny clock. It's 1040 at CTU. We see Tony looking through reports when Michelle Dessler rushes into his office with a transcript of a recording pulled from Sayadaly's encrypted hard drive. And um, what does it what does it tell us? Ooh, it's not good. <sighs> so it's apparently not Ali's home country and two other countries, they're mm-hmm. high ranking officials. They met Sayadaly in Cyprus. Yes, they met him in Cyprus. They have a recording of... Syed Ali talking to these three dudes from these three countries about the nuclear bomb mm. and about getting confirming, it in. And, and confirming that they, they bought the yes. bomb and gave it to him and smuggled it into the U.S. Yeah. Which and is pretty bonkers. bad. Pretty bad. Anyway, so Tony asks, how sure are we about the translation on this? And Michelle's like, I mean, pretty good. <laughs> and um, Tony just says, okay, we'll run a voice print authentication on all four people on the tape. And... Tony starts dialing a phone number, uh, calling CTU, and then as he's as Michelle walks out, he sees a minor confrontation between Carrie and Michelle, and Mich- Michelle clearly tells Carrie to just do your job. Um, oh, and and so before we get into this, like they cast doubt really quickly on the authenticity of this tape. Like Tony does it in the first conversation, and then they bring it up like 18 more times in this episode before before the end of it. Well, but yeah, I mean, that's because it seems so unlikely. Right. And no one, I mean, that no one wants to start World War III, which is basically what happens if three different countries in the Middle East join together to nuke the United States. Like, Yeah, they, they, and they, they finish it off real nicely towards the end of this episode. We'll get there, but it's kind of like it, it all wraps up into a nice head. Right. So we get another tiny clock. It's 1042. And uh, Tony's call is transferred to President Palmer on Air Force One. And by the way, this is the first time we see Air Force One in 24. Hmm. And reportedly, a little 24 trivia fact, the set of this scene is the same used in the movie Air Force One, which stars, co-stars, Harrison Ford, (laughs) Xander Berkeley. (laughs) <laughs> and also Glenn Morshauer, who played oh, yes. Agent Aaron Pierce in season oh, one. A lot of a lot of twenty four alumni in uh, mm. Air Force One. Turns out, get off my plane! Get off my plane! <laughs> um, so aboard the plane, Palmer is concerned that Division may have once Tony once Tony relays this information to uh, to David because um, he also had Michelle report this to Division and other intelligence agencies. David is concerned that. That news has already spread and is causing alarm across the U.S. intelligence uh, community. And Tony says, well, I'll have confirmation of the voice prints within the hour. And David asks why Syed Ali would even tape that conversation. And Tony just says, 
well, you know, they don't trust each other any more than they trust us, and uh, he might have wanted proof in case all those people turned against him. And um, Palmer thanks him, but is clearly not convinced. And again, Curtis, to your point, David sits down and looks at Mike Novick and says, we could be at war pretty soon, and not just with these countries. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, and those it- countries have allies, and those allies have allies. Also, you... I would say you talked about the Air Force One. Mm-hmm. Not only was it the set from the Air Force One, but apparently it's the exact footage later there on. There is footage when they're when well, it's it's when they're loading onto the plane. It's I was like, this doesn't look like twenty four, and it's footage of like the people like there's an agent walking down yes. the stairs from Air Force One. It's it's definitely from the movie from the movie. Also, the set <laughs> was also used as Air Force One in the West Wing. Yep, bring it full yep. circle. Huh. Yep. Still haven't seen it. Um, <laughs> ah, damn it. Yeah. No, so I was thinking about that this guy. podcast I, instead? West Wing in it? Yeah. With the boys? Um, so I was thinking, I, I, I said, hey, I think David has a deeper point here, is that if a nuke explodes on U.S. soil, and we have any proof whatsoever that, that foreign governments were involved, that actually triggers... War. Article 12, right? For yeah. NATO. Like, that's... It's World War. Mm-hmm. Deep shit, man. Yeah, you got coalitions coming at you. All the all the people and the principles and the principalities involved. So well, David pulls out a them. David pulls mm. out a quote from Abraham Lincoln, mm. something he said during the Civil War. I don't think to claim that I have controlled events, but confess plainly that events have controlled me. And he looks at Mike and says, "It's bad enough that someone smuggled a weapon into this country, but once it goes off, my options narrow very." very quickly Mm -hmm. and we get a tiny clock at 1044 please take a drink and we see jack's plane having cleared la and out into the low desert on final approach to the bomb site and uh for some reason he locks autopilot onto the final coordinates (laughs) which is fun and then he hears something in the plane behind him and he slowly draws his gun across his body and then swings around quickly to point a gun at someone in the back of the fuselage, and who is it? G Mace. G Mace. And what does he say to Jack? Uh, thanks, I got it from here. No, God. <laughs> <laughs> he gives a classic G Mace line. Sorry, Again, he like, says it says the service. The service is already terrible. Please don't shoot me. Yeah, it's like they give all the good lines. Like <laughs> the writers in the show are clearly capable of humor, but they only give it to like select people. Mm-hmm. Like Jack got a pretty good quip last week about like I take it this is your sister, but like, and like Jack asked him how he got on board, and he's like, I don't know, I felt like taking a ride. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I don't know, to everyone else, I'm still the head of CTU. They just kind of let me on board. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best part. It was like, I mean, I just got on. Who's gonna say yeah. no to me? I just walked in there, and so Mason is like, Hey, I brought you a gift, and he pulls out a parachute, and uh, and Jack's just like. George, I'm still taking this plane in. You can't do anything here. And uh, George just says, Jack, the hard part's over. Cleared the city. All I have to do is keep it level and take it to a dive. Unless, of course, you want to die. And he accuses Jack of having a death wish ever since Terry died. Yeah, I mean, he's probably not wrong. He's, and he gets, he gets so deep to Jack. Takes it deep. He does. He gets right into Jack's soul. Mm-hmm. Gotta feel it. So you want to be a hero, Jack? Get down there. Put your life together. Forgive mm-hmm. yourself for what happened to your wife. Mm-hmm. 
make things right with your daughter, and go and serve in your country. That takes some real guts. And Jack looks down at the clock to see it's 12 and a half minutes remaining. And Mason says, do you want to live or not? And Jack turns around and says, are you absolutely sure you can do this? And Mason says, I was supposed to do this. And then he climbs up into the co-pilot seat. And Jack instructs him how to man the plane and says, when the clock reaches a minute and 30, you have to initiate a 30-degree dive at, a pre- at precise coordinates and everything will be fine. And they sit in silence for a moment, and then Jack thanks him very solemnly. We get a tiny clock at 10.48. Cut to commercial. Well, so also, you missed the one part where Mason is like, isn't that going to put us down a little early? And Jack's like, yeah, you have to make sure that you're all the way crashing into the depression before the bomb goes off. So not only are you going to get blown up by a nuclear bomb you also have you, to crash the plane and deal with that pain well, what, also no, you what might not die. die yeah well you might die on impact and then the nuke goes off yeah or you're just in immense pain and then you get nuked <laughs> that's that's one of the things that like I, I don't know too much about nuclear bombs and how they're triggered but like if you just destroyed the bomb like would the trigger go off like is it that sensitive or like like if the bomb was killed, like like if the bomb was just destroyed very quickly, would the nuclear fission like trigger have time to go off? Because yeah, I know I a lot of it is like pistol style, which just it impacts and it just goes. Yeah, like like a C four bomb is essentially just a detonator inside of actually explosive. I don't know if you can trigger a nuclear fission reaction. So the with bomb an explosion. Well, the bomb here is a ten kiloton bomb. They say which is a little smaller than Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and that was, or Nagasaki, and those were, like, pistol-style bombs where, like, it was literally just a hammer hit mm. a trigger and, like, started started the, the fission reaction. Um, so, like, I think it could, if it was that quick, it could, like, there could be time for the bomb to initiate, but, like, if it's not triggered to go and it, the bomb is destroyed, like, why isn't that an option? <laughs> well, that's a good point. Why but not just build way, a concrete dome? Put it around it and then explode it. You did it. <laughs> did did good all the well, it takes a little while to build a concrete mm, dome. Buddy. <laughs> anyway, we come back from commercial at ten fifty three. And after wasting nearly five minutes, Jack is finally getting ready to make his, his escape. And uh, he says, Well, I'm gonna wait until four minutes before impact so I can stay with Mason as long as possible. Mm. And I did some quick napkin math, and that would leave him 14 miles away from the blast site. <laughs> that doesn't and seem like quite AKA enough. what, y'all? AKA what? Blast out? Too close? Dead. Well, to be fair, <laughs> I did also look up a 10 kiloton bomb would have a only a half mile blast radius, but the the blast that's radius the blast the radius would kill, be though. yeah the insta kill. <laughs> but to Jack's credit, he does hide behind a rock. <laughs> But did he get inside okay, Indiana of Indiana Jones? Why'd you get in that fridge, bro? <laughs> um, so before they go down, he phones Tony about a change of plans and says, I need a chopper in the air to pick me up. And uh, we see Michelle Dester calling a tech to get an independent confirmation of each voice on the recording uh, from Side at least hard drive. And I need confirmation from at least three sources. And uh, Tony runs up and tells her to send a helicopter to Jack. And then as Tony walks back to his office, Agent Ayuda confronts him as he notices the commotion at CTU and says, uh, hey, I would really love to know what you've, you guys have found on the hard drive. I bet you would, asshole. 
<laughs> and so sorry, I just, is, looked at, I just looked it up real quick. And apparently four plus miles puts you just outside the light damage zone for a 10 right. kiloton bomb. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I I did actually look it up. Uh and Jack would probably be fine depending so on the fa- rock, on so. the on the winds. Yes. Depending on the winds of the fall. Oh, he's climb. definitely getting cancer. But he's not gonna die right away. Or power. I think the thing I looked up the most was um what the because at the end of this episode, well, we'll get there. Uh but the uh what the mushroom cloud of a, a 10 kiloton bomb mm, would be. Cause I yeah. was checks out. Um, anyway, um, beep, beep. so Ayuda says, you know, we showed a lot of good faith telling you where to find Sidali's safe house. All I'm asking you to do is, is to do the same. And Tony just refuses. And, uh, Ayuda makes a crack about Americans and then just stops. And Tony kind of looks at him and walks away. And then we get a tiny clock at 10.54. So I get where and Tony's coming from here because the whole idea that um, Syed Ali would make this recording is that he didn't trust the other countries to not sell him out. Right. And so that kind of goes along with the first thing they would do then is Just send a foreign send agent a foreign agent and tell you where the hideout is to sell him out. Right. So it's like, yeah, that kind of fits the narrative here that we've got. Definitely definitely tracks. Curtis, how are you feeling about Ayuda right now? Um no, I don't I don't like him um at all. And I think Is Tony it has, a, has a point. I mean, Tony says it's interesting that you got here, you know, you were ten thousand miles away when this started and now you're here. Um, you know, real quick, and you're really interested in what's in that hard drive. Is it because of his British accent? <laughs> His accent does not line up with being from the country that he that he believes he's from, um, but also he's shifty. Uh, so I just don't like him. And you to know, be fair, if I was Col- Tony, I, Cur- Curtis, colonizers are everywhere. They are. Can't stop them. Yeah. Can't stop. Won't stop. But no, nope. you know, Tony. I think I would have told him. You know, he's. You know, I he, I want to know what you found in that. And I'm like, oh, it's nice to want things, Iota. You you want to catch these hands because that's what you're about to get, son. You know, back up for me. I'm the director of CTU. Okay. Move I've, away. You I've been Americans. the director for approximately 35 minutes, and I'm already abusing my power nonstop, so I will fight you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's the thing. I'm not some big flag waver of the USA, right? We have our faults, and I can admit those. But if some dude comes up to me and says, you Americans, oh, you want these hands. That's just, you asked for them. You, you, you called them out, and now they're here. So, come get them. Come get Clinton Dempsey. <laughs> Let's get them. You want some of this? Taking his shirt off for sure. Because you can't fucking see him. That's right. That's right. You wanted the 84th Airborne in Winston. That's where I named him after Churchill. We're friends. Come get this. You want John and Cena? All right. Come meet Jason Statham and The Rock. I was going to say, come meet Vin and Diesel. Let's get it on, son. Well, we we get it on at a tiny clock at 10.54. Please take a drink. And uh, Lynn Kresge escorts a General Bowden from the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is Hank from Frankie Hank. Bad. Be Hank, y'all. Hank. What do he, I say? Uh, what do I say? He also wants to get his rocks off. Marie. <laughs> <laughs> this is the law and order rule, y'all. But go ahead, Kush. Go on. I'll say, is the, is the Breaking Bad rule stronger or weaker than the law and order mm. rule? Mm. Weaker. Okay. Yeah, I think it's weaker. Yeah. Because because Breaking Bad has recurring characters. Sure. Right, sure, sure. Yeah. 
Um, so Bowden congratulates David on his remarkable achievement of getting the bomb out of L.A. And then says, hey, man, I'd really like to talk about plans for retaliation. <laughs> I'd really like to talk about who we going to blow up, though. Mm-hmm. And he confirms David's suspicion that Tony telling Division about uh, the recording on site at least hard drive would uh, disseminate itself through the intelligence community. He confirms that, saying that, well, we already know that Syed Ali's conversation points to these three governments are complicit in helping him obtain the bomb. And uh, David says, well, those are not authenticated yet. And um, Bowden asks for permission to activate plans to invade three countries. Sorry. (laughs) He asks permission to activate existing plans to invade the three countries in question. And David is for some reason shocked that the U.S. military has plans to invade literally every country on Earth. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm, I wouldn't be. Simultaneously? Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Same time. Wait, what is this one that says Santa? Are you going to invade the North Pole? And hey, man, we do don't it. know what's up there yet. We're not going to invade the North Pole. We're going to decimate the North Pole. <laughs> There's only oh. going to be one reindeer left. Fuck. Is it Cupid? That red nose will guide every fucking missile we have. Son of a bitch, you're going after Rudolph, you sick fucker. I don't care how foggy that night is. That little bastard's dead. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Why? Because you touched yourself in the night. All I want to do is play games, man. Like Monopoly. (laughs) Yeah, I've been naughty. I've been real naughty, you (laughs) some bitch. Anyway, and um, <laughs> David gets some more details on what those plans might entail and then just gives him approval to activate them, but says the military cannot a- implement those plans without direct offer- authorization from him first. And maybe it's just because I'm a moron, I don't really know the difference between activating a plan and implementing a plan. No, so you, you, you prepare. You muster the troops. Yeah, I think the activating is uh, for the is getting everybody lined up. They get ready. So is, so is activating hitting start on the level, and then implementing right. is you jump on the Koopa Troopers' head yeah, well, and then well, throw well, shells. Act- yeah, activating yeah, yeah, yeah. is activating it is like so. If you're Rainbow Six, right? Activating it is when you get to choose your units and then assign like where they go. Okay, so you just ping Ding Chavez. Down. You ping. Yeah. You pick eight Ding Chavezes, mm. and then <laughs> yeah, and then if you implement, that's when they start going around and saying Tango's down before. Four of them die, and you have to go on yourself and and be, you know, yeah. That that one dude takes them all. So out. the activating is when everyone's staying there talking about how they're gonna kill the the thing, the monster, and then the the actual implementing is the Leroy Jenkins. Is, the the implementing is uh, Bill Paxton just yelling "Game over, man!" <laughs> Nonstop. So fair enough. Um, are we gonna talk about the 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 elephant in the room though? Please. So this guy works for Roger Stanton. Just gonna gonna call it out he's in that cabal you uh, think the chairman of the joint chief of staff works for the nsa yeah mm-hmm. you're probably not wrong since for some reason <laughs> the nsa wants more defense spending That's i don't the, i yeah. don't know what that yeah the what? whole thing was to give him more balls and conveniently um not 15 minutes after tony discovers that three countries attacked us um this guy knows while, about it which which stanton knew about four months ago oh we have plans to attack these nations you fucking just had him laying around and get after it, friend. 
And David doesn't seem to really, like, suspect that. No. Other than just being like, well, we don't have proof yet, and although uh, Adobe Voice Photoshop doesn't exist yet, it will one day. Oh, and, uh, see, uh, I will say, right here, David need, what David needs is, is a sherry in the background going, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, then he'd say, wait a minute, what? I don't see why you're ready, so suspicious. I mean, just because Roger Stanton told David Palmer that he needed bigger balls and then a salesman for bigger ball cream happens to show up. <laughs> I don't know why you think that's more than a coincidence. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, My bad friend. You know, sometimes yeah. you just you just get better ball cream. And it just happens. Yeah. Mm. Some dig dong show you're up. Right. You're right. Sometimes um, sometimes life throws you, you curve balls and you, you deal with it. And sometimes life throws you bigger balls, <laughs> bigger blacker balls. <laughs> bigger blacker balls. Yeah. And and, um, and, and life gets good. Uh, it. Um, so David, as soon as Bowden leaves, David just looks at Lynn and says, you know, we could be talking about World War Three. And they stare at each other for a moment and we cut inside the plane where there are five minutes left on the clock and Jack is kind of tightening the straps on his parachute and he asks George if there's anything he can do for him. And Mason says, you know, I kind of got everything squared away at home. I saw my son earlier. Uh, I would like you to check in on him, but, uh, you know, think I'm good. And um, Jack kind of grabs Mason's shoulder, which probably, probably hurts hurt Mason bad. quite a bit. But mm-hmm. Mason, with tears in his eye, kind of reaches up oh, yeah, and grabs so Jack's much. hand on his shoulder. Well, and this was kind of a mirror between Sherry and David Palmer from like two or three episodes ago where David sort of like thankfully put his hand on Sherry's Palmer like Sherry's shoulder when she was doing okay and like she like I think inauthentically grabbed kind of grabbed his hand and this was just like a moment of like actual connection between two guys who don't open up mm-hmm. very well it was a, it was a nice scene uh, like I I think it was really powerful like they're both near tears George is I think fully processing what's about to happen to him and yeah it was That's good it. and George says hey Jack it's time and Jack pulls away. He opens the door to the plane. He looks at George one more time and then throws himself from the door of the of the Cessna. And uh, George coughs very briefly. And um, then we see an agent knock on the glass door to David's office. And we get a tiny clock at 1058. And the agent whispers something to Mike Novick. And uh, Mike quietly walks over and informs David that he'll be able to see the nuclear explosion on the eastern horizon outside of the left side of the plane. And uh, David nods and kind of grimly walks over to uh, the window on the uh, facing the east. And uh, the clock in Mason's plane hits 1 minute 30 seconds, and he kind of banks down into a turn and a dive towards, uh, towards the ground. And we see Jack floating down on a parachute as he pops a flare, uh, to signal to the helicopter to come get him. And uh, he kind of lands behind a large rock formation and he frantically pulls his chute off and runs behind a rock. And uh, he looks at his watch and slowly counts down uh, until the bombs explode. And he puts an arm over his head and ducks behind a rock and we hear a nuclear blast roar in the distance. And then we cut to Kim and what does she see? She sees those lights start to uh, come above the horizon of the trees. Um, basically, the, uh, I mean, her dad, she thinks. Yeah, she thinks his dad. And then 
David Palmer slowly sees an orange glow building on the eastern horizon. Mm-hmm. And Jack crawls slowly over the rock and sees a billowing mushroom cloud rising above the desert. And we cut to 1059 and 59 seconds. That was a pretty uh, cool episode. Quick question, though. It's it was, a good it episode. Ridiculous. One, one question. Wasn't David in Oregon? He's flying to L.A. So why would he see the, the bomb to the east? Because he's flying south. So it would have been to the east because yeah. it was in the Mojave Desert. It would have been to his southeast. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'll give you that. You're right. Uh, you're right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> so, Curtis, you didn't think this bomb was going to go off at all, huh? I did not. I called it terrible. <laughs> That's okay. That's you okay. got a lot right, though. You, I you, thought, yeah, I thought that John wasn't going to go off at all. Uh, I did I did call G-Mace being Batman. <laughs> you did uh, call G-Mace being Batman. That was great. Um, But yeah, I thought for sure, obviously, the bomb can't go off because, you know, L.A. survived. Said no, Jack has to survive and continue to hunt terrorists. But didn't see him flying to the old Mojave. Uh, G-Mace at the helm. You yeah. Know, so. so what's in store for us, man? Oh, God. Well, I mean, Jack's going to go. Jack's going to get really angered about all of a sudden he's going to care about the man that he literally shot with a trank dart 18 months ago and accused of embezzlement, but he will avenge him. Hard. He'll use it as fuel. So I think the big things here, Curtis, so I think the big things, so obviously Jack has things on his plate to track down. Mm -hmm. And David's going to have to do some work and figure out what the hell's going on with his own government. Well, yeah, speaking of David, so the cabal got what it wanted. Yep. Well, n- or maybe it didn't. A bomb went off on nuclear style to make David look weak and possibly, we don't know or not, falsely so, start a war with three countries. So I'm going to say this, y'all, and, and I don't know if the writers were thinking about this, I mean, at the moment, but it did happen eventually. Um, so uh, we got a new president in this country uh, in 2000, took over in 01 January. We were attacked in September of 01. And he was reelected three years later. David's been in power for, what, a year? We get a nuke blast from a cabal that wants to cripple his presidency, but... It's not always how national disasters work. Exactly. If yeah. he go... And, and with him making the move to go right to L.A. to be, you know, at the forefront of the disaster, does he fuck them over on that situation? But also, does it's he It's not like he waited in an elementary school for, I don't know, he did like not wait. 45 minutes or something. There. He didn't stay there waiting, reading about a goat. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, so there's a lot here with David and with, you know, the Cabal. I think this is going to be the predominant storyline and, like, how that impacts everything, including what Jack is going to be up to. Because clearly, Tony's already dealing with some politics at CTU. Yeah, but they're going to tell Jack, hey, Jack, the only person we know who's left to capture is this this captain. So And maybe the colonel. War's got to be done. Well, yeah, I mean, he knows the colonel needs to go, but the captain's the one they know who definitely killed those other Coral Snake guys, and what does he know? So, Jack has murdering to do. Somebody's got to die. It's true. Bomb's gone. Marie's caught. Well, who's next? Oh, Curtis, I know a little bit about what's coming up. I remember it. I can't wait. I can't wait for you to find out. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. Michael, what are you what are you thinking right now? Uh I don't know what you're talking about. About what's coming up. 
Because I don't yeah, remember I, I don't remember exactly who the bad who the bad guy ends up being, like ultimately. But I do remember you know some it. pretty you know dope some pretty dope shit happening in the in the back guy? half back. Is it a bad this. guy, Michael? That's true. I don't know. Is it a bad gal? Maybe Nina comes back. I don't know. No, it's not Nina. I mean, she's I'll, somewhere. I'll, we we honestly don't know. And there's got to be another mole, right? And I I honestly I just, cannot I just, remember who it is. I just I've seen, and it could be because of the the great acting of the actress Michelle Forbes, but Lynn Kresge, I don't I don't trust you. I still don't. Mm. Even though she went to head to head with Sherry, or maybe because she went head to head with Sherry, mm. all of it, man. Where'd you come from? I don't know your background. Where'd, Where'd you go? Well, Curtis, there's there's something else. Okay, Georgetown. Where'd you come from? So, Cotton Eye Joe. So Curtis, there's another thing. So Sherry Palmer unceremoniously booted out of the N Rock last episode. Mm-hmm. She knows a lot about this plot, <laughs> and clearly the cabal is. I mean, maybe or maybe not, they got something they wanted right now. They're probably, they're trying to steer David towards war. As much as David says he doesn't trust her, and I wouldn't either, mm-hmm. she appears to be on his side. She maybe. was. Appears to be. She knows some shit yeah, now. Exactly. So, and she, she has she, shown a propensity to, I don't know, direct things towards the uh, media. Also, also direct things towards Cherry Palmer's Immediate benefit. She also seems unable to write statements that don't fuck up David because Sherry and David have had to catch her shit and say, let's rewrite this. Right. So, nah, son. Yeah, I'm curious, though, where Sherry comes back, though. But I think we're going to find out a lot more in the next, uh, well, obviously next episode, but next couple hours, I think, should be very, very interesting. Yeah, we'll go see what Sarah Huckabee Kresge's up to. (laughs) Find out what you're doing. Got him. Um, well, guys, any any closing thoughts before we close this one out? Cool, got him. Um, nope. Oh, you want it? You want here? I thought Mike was gonna go. I got one for you, Kush. Hit me. Who do I trust? Nobody. I don't trust nobody. Do you trust also, Jack Bauer? No. <laughs> Good. Smart. Also, Safe. I have some corrections to make. I may have made some mistakes here tonight on this show. Uh, uh, verbally, a um, little little bit of verbal diarrhea. One. The C seventeen is not called uh, the the uh, the flying Hercules. That would be the actual. I think that's the Spruce Goose or whatever. Um, so my bad, y'all. Um, the C seventeen is actually called the Globe Master. Hmm. Um, and the the article that enacts uh, defense from all the NATO partners is Article five. So hmm. my bad, but corrected in the same yeah, episode. Yeah, that's impressive. What up? We did a corrections in in, in mid flight episode. <laughs> Although Curtis, you did just fuck up what you just said. <laughs> what do you mean? What are you talking about? I did it. The I spruce goose was the H four Hercules. H. I said the flying Hercules. That's that's. There's, well, there's no there's no flying Hercules. There's just the, the Hercules is a spruce goose. The C one thirty Hercules is. Is that? Oh well, shit. Whatever. Well, the C. Well, the C seventeen is the globe master. So go to hell. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You you nailed it. So we got a correction that? on the correction. A little bit, and then another correction, bit. all within the same episode. Fucking killing We're it, coming man. so correct. Those corrections come from our, our future sponsor. Wikipedia. Scott. <laughs> <laughs> booze. <laughs> guys, when we, when we get sponsored by booze, oh, boys. Oh, Let, boys. Let's first, guys, our first targets are beer and whiskey. And then and then you get to the big daddy of all of those things. Just it's just booze. booze. Mm-hmm. Mm. And then eventually, one day, just all vices. 
in general. Fuck, just Vice? Yeah, we're just sponsored by Vice's. Yeah, you're like, you mean Vice.com? No, no just, just Vice. Vice's. No. Like Anything one of the that you sense. ever want to do for pleasure, we're sponsored by that. Can we get to the seven deadly sins eventually? Because <laughs> I just want all of them. There are seven deadly sins. Pride, envy, lust, gluttony. Okay, I'm sorry. I had to stop. Wrath. <laughs> John Q's got the upper hand now. Is his name John Q? What was it? John Doe. Um, no, oh, John Doe. Stupid. Oh, John Q is Denzel in Washington. What's in the box? Did you say Denzel Washington? John Q. No. That's true. I never saw it. John- what? Mm. It's all about it's all about how his kid can't get health care. It's like ahead of its I know time, what it's man. A, I know what it's about. I Listen, just, I we talked about this last night. It, man. We talked about no, this on I yeah. fucked up a little bit. Anyway, <laughs> fellas, thank you so much for joining me this week on the longest days of our lives. If you like this show, you can find out more information at goodbuddymedia.com. Um, you can also find out more information on our sister show, Trends in Low Places, where Michael and I and occasionally Curtis talk about really stupid internet stories or just whatever's going on in our lives. Um and if you want to share a, I don't know, a fan theory about 24 or uh, talk to Curtis about how dumb he is about Tom Hanks or, I don't know. or Hercules and Spruce Gooses. Yeah. If you want to share airplane details with us, <laughs> shoot us an email at goodbuddymedia at gmail.com. I know a couple of you are probably aviation nerds or nuclear fallout radii and uh... or doomsday preppers love to hear from you you can shoot us an email we read every single message we get and i love curtis to death and i know he's gonna yell at me in a second here but um if you want to share some of us, shoot us an email we read everything we get we love to hear from our fans so uh curtis how else can the people help us out you're staring dead at me in the eyes (laughs) yeah if you want to help us out guys go ahead and subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice whether it be itunes stitcher podcast addict podbean however you get podcasts uh please subscribe to this show and to trends low places and when you do that, go ahead and rate and comment uh, on our on our shows. That way, we can move up the charts um, and continue to you know move towards being a podcast juggernaut, as it were, and bring you these shows uh, for free. Um, now, next, my buddy Michael's going to tell you some information. Um, before he does that, I'm going to say this: If you got something to say at me, <laughs> my Twitter handle is in the good buddy profiles on what michael tell them about the social medias <laughs> yeah you can find us on the social medias um hostile or not uh on twitters and the oh, facebook we, we hostile <laughs> at l-d-o-o-l cast that stands for longest days of our lives uh and when you do please give us a follow man you know i know all y'all are listening to this go ahead and hit that follow button get that follower count up um and please retweet and share our post and uh you know let your friends know that uh you like us yeah well uh gentlemen i think this was a i could see why they submitted this one to the emmys um ooh, are there podcast emmys because i think we deserve one for this episode as well yeah because hey can i say this Oh, fuck. We almost finished under an hour 40. <laughs> Rats. We didn't quite get there. Can't know. This one's not eligible for mm. for the uh, for the Webby's mm. shit. Well, dang, fellas. We'll get them next time. Well, gentlemen. So what would you say we ran out of time? Yeah, a couple minutes ago. <laughs> couple minutes ago. Um, well, guys, it's been lovely speaking with you. We already ran out of time. I'm not going to say Toodles. it. Toodles. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>